This episode is brought to you by our incredible community of listener supporters on Patreon. Our Patreon offers listeners exclusive archival content, extended episodes, and access to community conversations diving deeper with past guests. Your monthly pledge ensures that For the Wild has the funding to keep producing informative, thoughtful, and rooted conversations and programming. All funding supports our small team of creatives, podcast production, and special For the Wild projects like our zines and slow study courses. To support us on Patreon, please visit patreon.com slash for the wild, or if you would rather make a one-time donation or recurring donation outside of Patreon, please visit for the wild.world slash donate. Welcome to For the Wild podcast. I'm Ayana Young. This week, we are rebroadcasting our interview with Trisha Hersey of the NAP Ministry, originally aired in June of 2020. We hope you enjoy this special Encore episode. To not rest is really being violent towards your body. To align yourself with a system that says your body doesn't belong to you, keep working, you are simply a tool for our production. To align yourself with that is a slow spiritual death as well. Welcome to For the Wild podcast. I'm Ayana Young. I'm so excited to be joined by Trisha Hersey to speak on disrupting grind culture and finding liberation through rest. Trisha is a Chicago native living in Atlanta with over 20 years of experience collaborating with communities as a performance artist, theater maker, spiritual director, and community organizer. She is the founder of The Nap Ministry, an organization that examines rest as a form of resistance by curating safe spaces for the community to rest via collective napping experiences, immersive workshops, and performance art installations. Her research interests include Black liberation theology, womanism, somatics, and cultural trauma. She holds a Bachelor's of Science in Public Health from Eastern Illinois University and a Master of Divinity from the Candler School of Theology at Emory University. Oh, goodness. Well, welcome to the show, Trisha. I really can't think of a better person to offer wisdom and guidance as we move through these strange and troubling times. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. Mm, Me too. So to (laughs) slowly ease into this conversation, I think it might be important to start with a bit of your own personal story and how you arrived at this work, exploring the realm of rest. Yeah, I love love to answer questions about the origins because I think it's so important to ground it with this fast-paced digital sharing of information, the sharing of hashtags, people quickly catch on to something and they 
take the um, message and it can just be swept away. But it's so important to really ground this work. And it's personally important to me because this work came out of a personal connection for me to really um, convene and also communicate with my ancestors. And so as a person who's an artist and who was working in archives, who loves history, who was studying, you know, reparations theories while I was in graduate school, um, I started all of this kind of experimenting with the ideas when I was a student in divinity school. And I started there in 2013. I was there and I was you know, a community activist and artist for 20 years. I had been doing that work in Chicago for years. And so here I was showing up at a divinity school, not really knowing what theology was, just knowing I had felt a calling to really study the concept of spirituality and creativity. And I was really drawn by black liberation theology. I was drawn in by reading a book called Jesus and the Disinherited by um, Howard Thurman. And then I also loved James Cone. And my dad was, um, Pentecostal preacher and pastor of the Church of God in Christ in Chicago, one of the oldest Black denominations in the country. And so I came already with those ideas. And here I landed in seminary and being able to be in the South, being in Atlanta, going to school there, coming from the North, I was able to work in archives and really be able to touch documents and see what plantation label was really doing for us. I was taking classes in cultural trauma and I was really studying Jim Crow segregation and taking somatics classes and thinking about what the body can hold and how trauma is held in the body. And so I was um, interviewing Jim Crow survivors, wondering, you know, what redemption could look like, what it could look like for our bodies now. As a womanist scholar, I was really interested in micro histories, like the small little details of our lives because we believe that in our everyday experiences, in our everyday methods of problem solving, we can like really heal. And so I wanted to really know what was happening on these plantations. So I just became obsessed. And at the same time, I was going through so much trauma, personal trauma. I was um, in a white, predominantly white university. I wasn't being heard at all while I was there. There was some really stellar teachers that reached out and helped me in that space, um, teachers who were black, but for the most part, it was a very white institution, very conservative in the South. Black Lives Matter was heating up. Um, that, that movement was really heating up in 2013. So there were lynchings constantly being played on, on TV. I was um, suffering from a lot of personal traumas. Two people in my family died. Um, I was really not liking school. I was really feeling really traumatized by the whole process of being in graduate school. So I just started resting and I started digging deeper into the archives. And so from that space of really learning about what was happening to my ancestors on plantations, how they were human machines, they were capitalism's, one of capitalism's first experiments and really diving into the details of what a, a day looked like for them as far as working. And um, I just felt a calling and felt a, um, a pull with my ancestors to really rest for them. So I started, you know, experimenting with performance art. And so our first event was really a performance art piece that I put together called Transfiguration, where I was actually pulling together all of these research from my graduate studies and was going to do a one woman show that included me reading slave narratives, sleeping on a bed, multimedia, film just really concisely putting together what I had learned over these three and a half years in seminary. And 
it was just going to be a one woman show. And part of the show was that people actually took a nap and rested with us. And I named the nap ministry. I named the space we were in being a temple. Um, 40 people showed up and I couldn't wake them. You know, it was two hours of people like sleeping and waking up in tears and crying and there was a rest altar and it just all like landed there but I really just thought that would be the landing place and it would be the end of it and how many years later I think four years later and we've had over 50 events and it just people kept asking when's the next one when's the next one so I really want to honor that this was really an experimentation of me as an artist of me as a um, daughter and granddaughter of people who were so innovative and subversive and me really wanting to honor them and seeing rest as on um, reparations for them. I think many of us come into relationship with harmful narratives of rest and productivity from a really early age. Mm-hmm. And particularly in the West, we're taught to valorize grind culture and assign success or status to those who work hard to the point of exhaustion, let alone I think we also potentially get a sense of our purpose and personal fulfillment and yeah. personal value connected to this culture of productivity. So yeah. I'd like to dig a little bit deeper into where these narratives actually come from. So mm-hmm. why are we so attached to the daily grind and what are the consequences when we feel like we can't slow down? Yeah, I think why it's like that, you cannot speak about sleep deprivation or any of, of grind culture without talking about white supremacy. And I think you can't talk about any form of oppression without really naming white supremacy, colonization as, um, as the seat of it. And so it's interesting that when I first started um, the NAP ministry, at least started putting things up on IG because I always had this as my framework. White supremacy was always the framework. I'm studying slavery, you know, I'm studying slavery in the, in the American South. I'm studying plantation labor. I'm looking at reparations theory. I'm studying Jim Crow terror, cultural trauma. How could we not speak about white supremacy? So it was always in my framework. The IG page came later. This work was already happening. So, and people were really mad at me for even saying anything about white supremacy. Like when I first started being like, Grind culture is making you not sleep. You know, rest is a form of resistance because it disrupts and pushes back against capitalism and white supremacy. I had so much hate thrown at me. So many people who were like, that makes no sense. What does white supremacy have to do with sleeping? And so it that's the thing about it. White supremacy has bamboozled us to the point of where we really can't even see what's really happening. And that's why rest is so important because rest does give you the space to actually see what's happening. And so when you talk about grind culture, grind culture is simply white supremacist work culture. So white supremacist work culture is an extractive culture. It's hustle culture. It's seeing productivity as a function of your worth. So whatever white supremacy is doing um, on a global scale to us and has done, White supremacy has been using the body as a tool for destruction since the beginning of time. And so to not name and put white supremacy in the center of this would be, it doesn't make sense. So you have to speak about it. When you speak about capitalism, you can't speak about that without speaking about white supremacy. And so I really was able to land that and understand that by studying what was happening during plantation labor, studying what was happening during the transatlantic slave trade, the Middle Passage, um, 
centuries and centuries of plantation labor. What that all was, was capitalism beginning. It was all done as a tool to be pr produced, to make money. The whole entire economic infrastructure of American culture was built off the backs of um, Native people and also um, Africans. And so I think we are so used to ignoring and we think white supremacy is only one thing. It's being pulled over by the police. It's poverty being a reality. White supremacy rules and is the oppressive hand of everything that is happening in our culture. Grind culture is nothing but a continuation of what was happening on plantations for centuries, really. I think the consequence of it is what we're seeing now. I mean, biologically, what is happening to our bodies when we don't sleep, sleep deprivation is a public health issue. It's also a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual death that's happening to us. It's a physical and biological death that's happening to our bodies. Our bodies are being used as a tool of oppression. Um, they want to own our bodies. And so when you look at it from a biological, from a spiritual, from um, a creative level, it's really what is not going to allow us to really fully reach our full potential and really liberate ourselves and really fully be able to reach that full revolution. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And I'm grateful how you are weaving in the history of slavery and plantation labor as the foundational creation of capitalism and grind culture as we know it. It's really I think important for us to be able to zoom out and see these interconnections. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about yeah. the many ways in which late stage capitalism feeds off of various forms of forced or invisibilized labor yes. and violence against marginalized mm -hmm. community. And of course, maintaining a population that is traumatized and isolated from their community yes. is endemic to capitalism. So yes. I, you know, you, you've given us, a foundation of the connections between white supremacy and capitalism and this machine level pace of our society. Yes. And I want to ask about um, what does it mean for rest to be a right rather than a privilege? And yes. maybe within that, you could also speak to this brainwashing that you've spoken about before mm -hmm. of why we are so attached to the daily grind, even though it's really hurting us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love, I've been hearing so, so many people keep saying, rest is a privilege. It's such a privilege to rest. And to me, when I hear it, it, um, I, it just continuously informs the concept that we are truly brainwashed, that we really do believe that, that we, we believe that to be able to lay our bodies down, to, to look at our bodies as what they are divine holding places of liberation to see what I really think people need to really look at the biology and the science of sleep like there's a whole nother level to this that people are not landing on as far as neurologically and what's happening in our brains and I've been really having a public health background and really being into community health I've been really doing a lot of research around what happens to the body when it doesn't sleep even if you never wanted to look at this from a concept of uh, politics or social justice, if you never wanted to look at it from a spiritual lens, if you just simply wanted to stay landed in neurology, in biology, in health, when you don't sleep, you're literally killing your body. Like it's not a um, dramatic over the top thing to say that. Our organs begin to break down. 
to not rest is really being violent towards your body, to align yourself with a system that says your body doesn't belong to you, keep working, you are simply a tool for our production. To align yourself with that is a slow spiritual death as well. And so the brainwashing, when you talked about being, living in the West, from the time you're born, maybe even sometimes before you're born, you know, while you're in the womb, we're, they're beginning the process of brainwashing us towards being tools for production, tools for capitalism. I say before the womb because I'm thinking about when I was carrying my son and how he was large and they thought I was having twins, but I was, and I kept telling them, he's just a big baby. I'm a tall woman. Everyone in my family is over six feet. Like we have big babies. It'll be fine that the doctor pushed a cesarean because it was on a timeline. She couldn't fit it in any other time because this is when I can do it, you know? And so like even the concept of time of allowing my, my baby to come out when he wanted to come out, he was even being rushed out the womb because of a medical system that doesn't look at us as human beings, look at us as a number, as his patient who can just be rushed. I have more patients to get to, hurry up. And so that begins. And then you talk about public school. If you um, know about public schools, they're literally created um, for us to start the process of training young people to be young workers who will be able to leave the school system and go into a nine to five corporate job to be able to sit still, to be able to sit at a desk, to be able to not embody what their body wants, to refuse to see their bodies as divine, to start looking at quantity over quality, um, to ignore the pleas of caring and and looking at flexibility. And so all of these things are in us from a very early age and everything in culture is supporting this. So when I say that this is a hard resistance, when I say this is the resistance, it really is because everything in culture is supporting us to not rest, to keep going, to ignore your body, to not sleep, to sleep when you're dead. Like all of these things that we've been socialized to believe are white supremacist work culture brainwashing us from the time we're little. Um, I used to work in schools and teach. And I remember young kids stressing out during finals. All, the way the whole academic system is set up is a violent situation. When I was in graduate school, it was like a badge of honor for people to stay up to four in the morning, sleep at the library, teachers giving you a thousand pages to read per day. If you have six classes, you're supposed to sit and you're supposed to just make it happen. Like no one collaborating with other teachers to be like, maybe that's too much for students. You know, maybe we can like think about a way to help them to like balance this out. And so it's really everything in culture is working against us. And so when we don't name that we've been brainwashed, we need to deprogram that we're going to have to um, really be subversive and innovative and intentional and meticulous about deprogramming from this, um, it's so important that we name it. So I named sleep deprivation as a racial justice issue, you know, as a social justice issue, um, as a public health issue. It's like key to any type of liberation, any type of freedom that we can get to, it's going to be centered around rest. And I also believe that our ancestors knew that. My ancestors knew that, even though they had no autonomy over their bodies, were human, literally real human machines working 20 hours a day sometimes on plantations in the sun, picking cotton, picking tobacco, all the other crops. They were human machines and they still found ways to subvert, slow down production, find joy, 
rest. And so I think it's really time for us to start reimagining what all of this could look like. And I'm, I'm always really, really surprised that so many people, when I say to them, you should be able to take a 30 minute nap every day. I could never rest. I could never do that. How? And then I think about my ancestors and what they were going through and how they still found time to rest. So it just shows me how far and deep the process of brainwashing and accepting violence towards ourselves is happening. That we now in 2020 believe that we can't make, take, can't take 10 minutes every day, close our eyes and meditate or 30 minutes to rest. Like we really literally feel like we cannot do it. And when we do do it, we feel extreme guilt and shame around it. So that's where I, I named the brainwashing because of the fact that we're participating in our own demise. Hmm. To think of your son, mm-hmm. literally from birth, the rushing of birth. I mean, that yep. is just like, this is really yes. entrenched. My gosh. Yeah. Yes. And um, the medical system is, is, you know, we know the medical system is an industrial complex that sits right in white supremacy. Think about what's happening now and all of the people of color who are dying, you know, thinking about the COVID-19 and it's uplifting and illuminating the healthcare system which we've always known has been racist and anti-Black and it created all white supremacy. So we keep going back to that white supremacy. We mm-hmm. keep going back to the system that set everything up. It, it really touches everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm wondering, I think it can be difficult for people to imagine what rest could look like beyond the act of sleeping or taking a nap. Mm -hmm. So how Mm -hmm. can our waking lives be full of rest or perhaps embody a sustained slowness within all that we do? Yes. I love answering this question. It's like one of my favorites to dream about and imagine about, because I always get to tell the story of my grandmother or Caston, my maternal grandmother, who was a Jim Crow refugee from Mississippi and like millions of other black people left the South um, in hopes of running from Jim Crow terror that was happening in, in their Southern states and of hopes of these new opportunities. And so when I think about how she literally built a spaceship out of this uncertainty she to float on, like she built this way to be like, I'm going to leave and take my children I don't know if I'll get a job there. I don't know anybody in Chicago. I'm a refugee, but I know I won't have my children lynched. And so her and other brave Black people on the Great Migration, which I uphold as one of the most inspiring things to me when I think about resistance and think about really imagining and leaping and being subversive and making a way out of no way. I think these are the things that we need to be tapping into right now, this ancient wisdom. And so my grandmother left Mississippi, came to Chicago. My mother was one of her nine children. She worked two jobs in Chicago in the 50s. Two jobs, one she was like cleaning for people, another one she worked at a hospital, like a um, psychiatric hospital, where she was kind of like a CNA, you know, taking care of the patients there. She went to church every day. She gardened. She took over a garden, this land that was next to her house. She never got any permits from the city. She took over like almost like 10 acres of land and made it a farm. She just was out there every day gardening, raising nine children. I mean, so many grandchildren. I'm one of the grandchildren. And her house was just this hub of activity. And every single day in between her 
two jobs. And believe me, when I say she worked two jobs, she was on her feet all day and night, you know, cleaning for someone else, working in the hospital. But she sat on that couch and closed her eyes for 30 minutes every single day. And we always thought she was asleep. So us as children, we will be with my 15 or so cousins running around the house being wild and crazy children. Um, we'd always be saying, okay, be quiet. Grandma sleep, grandma sleep, y'all. Don't wake her up. And she would always, without opening her eyes, say, um, I'm not sleeping. Every shut eye ain't sleep. I'm resting my eyes so I can hear what God is trying to say to me. And then later in her life, she started dealing with the illness. Um, she had leukemia and poverty abound. You know, she didn't have much at all. And so for her to be able to sit and intentionally say she was going to rest for 30 minutes and close her eyes. When I was a child, I didn't understand it. I thought, oh, grandma is just so different, you know. But now I think back on it, I said, what was she holding in that space? What was she meditating on? What was she hearing from God that allowed her to be able to take such a leap for her to imagine such a way for her to leave such violence that was happening to her and her family in Mississippi and come without any idea if it would work. She just had her radical faith and her radical idea that there has to be something better. I think we have part of the brainwashing, part of white supremacy has taken away our intuition. It's allowed us to not imagine and when you've stolen a people's intuition and imagination and hope, you've pretty much taken everything from them because those are the things that marginalized people, people who have been living under oppression for centuries, hold on to. Uh, when I think about Harriet Tubman and her work on the Underground Railroad and how her imagination led her to be able to be like, I don't even know how to read. I don't even know where I'm going. I don't have a map, but I just know that is freedom or death. You know, I just know that I'm just going to walk this way and I just got to hold on that it's something else better. And so I have noticed that in these four years of being with the NAP ministry and counseling thousands of people and listening to their stories that we're at this critical place where we actually have lost our imagination. It's been stolen from grind. Grind culture has taken it from us because grind culture refuses to see a divinity of you as a human being. And if you buy into grind culture, you actually are aligning yourself with the concept that you're not a divine human being and that your worth has already been given to you by the fact that you're alive. Your birth is your worth. To sit with your eyes closed for 10 minutes in daydream, that's rest. To say no more, to like look at your calendar as a sacred text, to really start to begin to heal the trauma inside of you that's happened to you personally, the collective trauma that's happened to us by living under um, a system that doesn't see us as a human being. The end result of all of this is that we have to begin to start naming our trauma, taking the painful and uncomfortable steps to grieve it, to heal it, and to see a new way. And so I'm very influenced by Afrofuturism and the concept of um, deep, deep, deep imagination. And I see um, people so much being like, that sounds nice, but I could never rest. And I'm wondering to myself, man, to think that we're in this day and age and we feel like rest is a privilege and we don't even have an opportunity in the space to find 10 minutes to look outside and stare out your window, deep, deep daydreaming, closing your eyes, breathing slowly. To me, rest, is about, this is about more than naps. It's really about an ethos and a perspective and a pushing back in a way of living in a way of life that is slowed down, that is connected, that is magnetic, 
that is um, distilled down into a place where we really are looking at ourselves as who we really are. This is a spiritual work that's happening for us to be able to allow ourselves to uplift the divinity of who we really are. Truth and reconciliation with our minds is a thing now. Is the color of my skin finally the flight in my wing now? Queen, stand up or are you still growing our kids now? King, stand up or are you sweating in our gardens? Bow down to those in uniforms as they try to be uniform to hope some paper held back by structure. Funny, we were the help that built this architecture. Now we're scattered like leftovers. Down against this Pega. It is true now, although there is complexity and conflicts in view now. Let's make this land brand new now. Remember what is true now. We are beautiful, man. It's the love for this land. If we were made of bones and sand, we gotta understand that we were made in his image and it's his plan. You know, I want to say that in the past few years, it's been interesting to watch this kind of obsession emerge within mainstream Mm -hmm. culture around sleep and the marketing of self-care tied to an endless stream of consumption, of course. So it seems as though people are quick to share your words on social media or retweet retweet the memes that you create. But beyond this, what does it really mean to show up with integrity to this radical work? Yeah, I, I love that you brought this up because I feel like I want to name social media as an extension of capitalism. <laughs> I want to name it right now. I know it's ironic that, you know, a lot of this, my, the work that people are knowing about me is because of social media. And I see it as a tool that can be used for some correction. It can be used to help in some ways, but for the most part, I'm very anti technology and anti-social media in a lot of ways because I see it as an extension of capitalism. I see the heart of it being that people, what I love about the concept and what underlines is that people just want to connect with each other. I love the beauty of interconnectedness, of people wanting to commune, of building community. Community care is a major tenet of the NAP ministry. So I love technology for what it tries to be and what people are longing for like the, the power and the energy of people longing for community, of people wanting to be connected is a beautiful thing. But if we don't remember and always uplift that social media is really just another extension of capitalism. It's a consumer driven product where the people who own social media are billionaires. And I think what I don't like about it is that it doesn't allow for deep work that's intensively understood and slowly imagined. It's quick pace. The digital realm is just put up a hashtag and put it on something. So I've been seeing a lot of people using the hashtag versus resistance on like to sell things and, you know, a room full of people doing yoga saying versus resistance and And I'm like, what are you resisting about? Do you even know what the resistance is about? How do you resist something that you can't name? And so I really do think 
that this obsession that we have with talking about sleep and talking about rest is really like just a moment that's happening right now. It's an awareness that's coming up, but a lot of the awareness is just people to nap and sleep so they can be better workers, you know, be more productive. Actually, the lens that I'm putting on is actually, no, this is not about productivity. Productivity is and always has been a scam. We've been scammed. Exhaustion is not productivity. And so I think the accountability piece is really hard. Like, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm in a place right now with my work where I'm really trying to understand what that looks like. And what I did is my pushback against this consumerist, digital, quick sharing really came when I started the Resurrect Rest School. I started that back in January. We had our first um, class. And what it is, is it's a free school that I'm hosting based on the freedom schools of the 50s and 60s, where people were in deep, connective learning with each other. And so people come together shoulder to shoulder, um, looking at each other's eyes. We're reading all of the text that really centers the work. We're reading bell hooks and we're looking at womanism and we're looking at soul care we're reading afrofuturist texts and we're really deconstructing what this movement really is it's so important for me that this movement is continuously framework inside of theories inside of like real stuff and it's not just becomes consumed and eaten up and becomes this extractive consumptive idea of I'll put up a meme versus resistance and I wonder I said to the people on IG the other day I'm like are y'all really resting or are you just retweeting the memes? Like I'm trying to get some understanding about what's really happening. And so for me, the Resurrect Rest School was for me needing to really be with people in real life and like touch their hands and see their eyes and lay them down with a blanket and pillow and see people really coming together and slowly, slowly learning and researching. Because I don't believe that we can really deprogram from our brainwashing um, with quick, fast information that's just thrown at us. It's really gonna be a slow, meticulous, enormous effort, slowly understanding the background, slowly understanding what has happened. It's gonna to have to be supported and fortified by, um, by, by, by information and by community coming together and holding space with each other to speak and really go deep into some uncomfortable conversations. And so if we can't talk about white supremacy and capitalism, how we actually are um, aligning ourselves with it and actually are the ones upholding it, we're actually upholding grind culture. We don't want to let it go. And so we don't want to start talking about the uncomfortable trauma that has caused us to be addicted to grind culture and want really want to do their hard work, then the accountability piece is going to be missed. Hmm. This is just so important. Um, how this rest as resistance can be co-opted mm-hmm. and that isn't the rest as resistance with integrity. If you're trying to sell something or rest as resistance to be more productive, that's absolutely not the the core right. of what this work is because our addiction yeah. and our brainwashing to consumer capitalism, high-speed urgency, adrenaline, yeah. all of that, yes. that that we're wrapped up in, it, it's, it's like a response that we've become addicted to through the brainwashing and mm-hmm. we can't get out mm-hmm. of the urgent addiction with more fast-paced urgent responses. But I also think when we use rest or self-care to maintain capitalism, we're also 
completely forgetting the ecological component of rest and Mm -hmm. that when and I've really been inspired by you and thinking when we rest the earth rests if we're not doing as much and if we're slowing down then there doesn't need to be as much made resources don't need to be extracted at the same pace when we're really fast and we're doing all these all this stuff all the time that has a consequence because the earth actually has to keep up with our desires and needs of the moment. And so if we say we care about the earth, climate change, uh, the Anthropocene extinction, we have to understand Mm -hmm. that if we are not slowing down, the earth will never be able to slow down because we are pushing the earth to keep up with this grind culture because the earth is the basis to how we grind. Yes. Yes, exactly. The land needs to rest. It needs to be honored. And when I think about land, it's so important to me with this ministry because remember, I started by looking at what plantation labor was doing, how they were extracting from the earth, growing all of this agriculture, and who was people who were out there doing it, the violence that was happening while they were extracting from the earth cotton and sugar and tobacco, all these things that that they were growing in the earth. it's really important, like the concept of land and liberation is closely connected to this work because I really feel that the land and the people who were stewards of the land, the fact that they were stewards of the land in a violent mean, that when I think about the violence that was happening in those fields and on those plantations and for centuries and centuries, the land being just cultivated and used and the, the lives, people were dying out there under the heat, picking cotton and like what? What does that say for our ancestor worship and ancestor communication and reverence to them when such violent things were happening in that space? And so a lot of the work started with me resting outdoors, sleeping outside and doing public site installations outside and reclaiming the land, reclaiming the ancestors who were out there working in the southern heat with no type of stopping. Um, During my research, I was reading a lot of slave narratives and I was seeing how women were giving birth in the fields and then the midwife would take the baby and they kept working. They had 500 pounds of cotton each to pick a day. And if you didn't pick it, it was violence or death. And so to think about our world and our American culture starting and the culture of pretty much this entire economic infrastructure being built off so much violence that the land was having to take. And when you think about lynchings and what the trees were seeing and what was happening in the land, and now we're like aligning ourselves with that same system and what pain that must be causing our ancestors and what um, disrespect we're just continuing to do to the land and to the earth and to what's around us. And so I think it's so important. I'm so glad that you brought that up about ecologically what's going on and how all of this land and liberation is really connected because you have to understand what was happening on plantations. We don't really look at that. We know, oh, slavery happened, but to look at the micro details of a day-to-day, what it looked like, I was able to find that out. Like they got up before the sun came up. Most of the time they worked, you know, 20 hour days sometimes. And, um, they would keep going. There were no breaks. There was no, you know, oh, you don't feel well or you're pregnant. Okay, keep picking. And we know how hot it gets outside. And what the cotton is such a hard plant to really work with. I have cotton, you know, that I use a lot in a lot of our 
performance installation and just to touch it and feel it and to see how bodies were being connected to this plant that was hard to pick and pull and what that did to our bodies and what that also did to the land because a lot of my friends are farmers and they talk about like how soil regenerates and how many centuries on plantations they were just growing, growing, growing. They just never let the earth ever stop to heal. You know, it was just like grow more cotton, grow more. We need more people to do it. And so this industrial human machine level pace really started there and we're actually continuing it, but we're doing it to ourselves now. We're like jumping on board and we've aligned ourselves and have been brainwashed to be a supporter to uphold this type of work culture. And so that's where I wanna like disrupt. And that's why we say rest is a form of resistance because it disrupts and it also pushes back against capitalism and white supremacy. And so this is a pushback and a resistance and a disruption to a very specific thing that's happening to us, that's happened to the land, that's continuing to happen to the land and to the resources that we are around. and how we just need to slow it down. Things cannot be at this machine level pace, but at this point, um, I think sometimes people are saying now that to slow down now, it feels so uncomfortable to them because they're so used to like being on this grind machine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it is uncomfortable because it's become habit. It's become not only psychologically, addictive with our value systems but it's also i think the adrenaline our bodies somatically have gotten used to it yes. and mm -hmm. yeah so i think it is really challenging but on this ecological thread a question i'm sitting with is slowing down in the context of resistance mm -hmm. and direct action yes and i see this capitalist grind culture is quite literally killing us and seeding toxicity but mm -hmm. I'm wondering if we can separate this from the urgent action required to, say, stop a pipeline or shut down detention centers mm -hmm. and private prisons or defend a forest from being logged. So I'm yeah. curious what you think about bringing a culture of slowness and rest into movement spaces facing so much trauma and state violence. Yes. Yeah, I think it's important to note that I am an activist and a community servant, and this work started 20 years ago with me working in direct actions, leading workshops, trainings, being on the front lines and movement spaces around violence, gun violence, food justice in Chicago. And so I understand the urgency because you're working on this timeline. Someone got killed today. We need to go there today. You know, someone was arrested um, in a way that was not humane. We need to be there now and how direct actions are really quick paced and have to be a reaction to what is going on. And I understand that. But I also understand that movement work is spiritual work. I've noticed that in a lot of movement spaces since I've been in them since I was in my 20s and I'm now 45. The people working in movement work are folks who have been traumatized just like everyone else by the oppressive systems that we live under and that we need healing too and that we need to understand that there is spiritual work that has been done for us behind the scenes that can help move movement work forward that isn't going to be us um, killing ourselves and working 80 hour weeks and re-continuing to traumatize each other by copying white supremacist work culture. You know, that's where the spiritual piece comes in. There is work that has been done already for us behind the scenes that we can tap into. Native people understand this, you know, African people understand this. I mean, 
we are losing those ancient techniques and those ancient understandings to be able to balance. And I've been in movement spaces where we've had trainings. We're in a training literally all day, for 12 hours. There's no bathroom breaks. There's no way to eat. There's no um, concept of resting. It's just like, we really literally are continuing to use this white supremacist work culture to do our work. I don't think that we can use the master's tool to dismantle the master's house. This is a beautiful quote by Audre Lorde. You can't do that. It's not going to work. And I, I think that we've lost our way as movement workers and in movement spaces. We've also been caught up in the grind. We've also are working on deadlines and working on grants and things that have to be done. But I really believe that rest can be a portal in a third space, in a place that we can go and imagine and actually gain more knowledge of how we can actually do this work in a different way. If you believe that rest is a portal for invention, I believe that when we rest that we can actually tap into some ideas, into some new energies, new ways of actually approaching this situation, but we can never do that because we're, we also are grinding. And I've actually done a lot of trainings with people who are in movement spaces right now. And a lot of them are suffering from so much mental health, physical health, working 80 hours a day, having brain aneurysms, being sick. I did one here in Atlanta last year for some movement workers who are working on human rights campaigns. And Everybody in the room was so exhausted. As soon as I asked them, are you guys tired? They just started weeping. And they was just like, you know, I'm tired. I'm sick. You know, I, I keep going. I keep going because the work has to be done. But I don't feel like we can actually get to liberation by repeating the same trauma that has been done to us. I just don't believe that we have to be traumatized to be able to get to the other side. I, I don't, I won't ever believe that we have to be having some of our executive directors of some of these organizations have never taken a day off work in a year. Their children, you know, are suffering because they're not home to be with them, that they're actually, I talked with a movement worker who was saying that she had a brain aneurysm. The next day she was up trying to like get online to organize a direct training. I don't see how we believe that that energy and the spirit of that and the spiritual component to that is ever going to give us the results that we're looking for. And so I want to uplift the spiritual work that's been done for us and how our ancestors have done some things in the past that are still working in, um, working for us right now. And so a part of grind culture makes us believe that if I don't see the result of something, it's not happening. If I'm not doing something, then it's not happening. And I think that that's a false belief. And I think that's a belief rooted in white supremacy. I believe that there's always things being done behind the scenes for our spiritual greatness. And there's always things that are happening to be able to help get us to the other side. When I keep going back to Harriet Tubman and going back to my ancestors who weren't seeing anything happening, but they were believing and trusting in a greater power and you know, looking up at the stars and following the path to, to freedom and just trusting and believing that their ancestors were already putting a word in for them and already, you know, seeing them and they're able to communicate with them. And they're able to like use that energy to be able to come up with dynamic solutions now. And I don't think that you can actually um, get to a liberative state if you're exhausted and rested. I believe that the revolution will be led by well-rested people, people who are connected, who are inventive, who are tapped into the spiritual component of rest and what it can do for us.
wisdom that you just shared with us it's a lot to process yeah i think rest is a third space it's a portal yeah for new ways mm-hmm. what type of innovative ideas can you offer to us you know how can you heal from your own trauma a lot of these movement spaces are being led by people who have unhealed trauma and they're continuing mm-hmm. to traumatize others mm-hmm. but i i, I want to speak more to this rest as portal and mm-hmm. In many ways, mm-hmm. it seems that the Nat ministry is about embodiment. And as you yes. name, our bodies also hold inherent wisdom, strategies, and tools yes. for repair. And our bodies are so resilient. So I'd love if you could speak more to the importance of surrendering to our somatic intelligence. Yes. What resources are available for us within the unconscious wanderings of dream space? Yes, so beautiful how you said that. Yeah, I'm, I, the third tenet of the NAP ministry is our bodies are a site of liberation. So wherever our bodies are, we can find a liberative space. And so the somatics of all of that, I come from a background in Black Pentecostalism, which looks at the body, you know, as being a space where um, the laying on of hands and the catching of the Holy Spirit. And they wake up and they just look so different and they look like they've healed from so many different things. And so I really believe that we are missing the magic of what is happening on a somatic level in our bodies, that our bodies hold everything, the memory that in the wisdom that's there, the body wisdom, the body memory. And if you aren't resting and if we are at a sleep deprivation level, Think at what level are our bodies and minds actually working? I believe that when you rest and go into that portal, that you can wake up with new ideas. Um, The science of sleep tells us that there are chemicals that are released in our brains when we sleep that actually can help us move through trauma, can help us to kind of heal ourselves. And so there are already, our body is this already this beautiful place that wants us to heal, that wants to be well, that can move at the space in the pace that um, is most um, ideal for us. And so we've forgotten that. We've totally just missed out on any of the sleep, the sleep wisdom and the body wisdom. We've ignored that. We've ignored it all for sleep until I'll sleep when I'm dead. We've ignored it all for productivity as a function of our worth, for perfectionism, for um, profit over life you know, for seeing burnout as normal. We see burnout as just a normal phase of life. It's not normal to burn out when you're, you know, that's not normal. So I think um, rest actually disrupts the cycle of trauma. And I believe that grind culture, 
is trauma towards us and also grind culture feeds off of trauma. And so to, to take a moment to intentionally say no and push back, my body doesn't belong to capitalism. My body belongs um, to me. My body is a divine being. It is divinity um, inside to embody that wisdom. Every time we feel like we want to rest and our body feels that and we ignore it, each time we ignore it is another moment of us putting trauma onto our physical bodies. And so to intentionally do that is really um, such a beautiful offering to ourselves. Um, and I actually think collectively doing that together also is a direct action. So when we do our collective napping experiences, we've done them as large as 50 people in the room at the same time, all taking a nap that's been kind of curated by myself. And I'm usually the only person who's up and everyone else is resting and I'm holding space in the room and to feel the energy and for people to wake up together and magical and spiritual things happen in these spaces. People have woken up and don't even know each other and have had the same dreams. Like some, someone will be in the back of the room and be like, I had a dream you know, about this. Other person like, I had the exact same dream. Can you pick up where I left off? And it's the exact same dream. People have... um woken up and was like, I didn't even realize how I haven't taken a nap in three years. Now I feel like I can take on the world. Like I really feel like collectively when we put our bodies in this space of healing together and um, honoring it, we're doing so much for our future, for our liberation. And so I don't think that we can get there without looking at rest for what it is. It's a dream space. And I believe that it's been stolen from us. And uh, one of our other tenets is that we want it back and we can reclaim it via rest. And so the dream space is this place where we can go and um, and just be. I always thought this when I was studying my ancestors. I was like, what could they have imagined and figured out if they were allowed a space to rest? Could they have, you know, been able to come up with um, plans that have helped them escape a little bit quicker? Could they have been able to come up with ideas on how they could have revolted. Maybe they could have had, you know, what 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 could have happened if we were allowed a space to rest? If they were allowed a space to actually go into a dream space, could their freedom have been closer? Could they have had more intricate ways? Could the Underground Railroad have been um, even a larger system because we had so many inventive ideas because we were working on a well-rested mind and a well-rested body that was able take on these oppressive systems. And so I think we must fortify our minds and our bodies and rest is the way to be able to allow us to get there. I really believe that the more we rest, the more we're able to wake up and use the sacredness to help fortify our movements. I actually think that the powers that be don't want us rested because they know if we are rested and if we are at our full potential brain waves and if we're like thinking and connected, what could we figure out quicker? I feel like we're in this numb zombie phase when you're not rested. You're like in this sleep deprived, non-woke phase of just, you know, go with the flow and take things. I feel like you're, the power, rest is like a power. It's a slowing down that allows you to be able to be like, you know what? I actually don't want to be treated like this. Mm, yes, the veil is lifted. Yeah, so, yeah I was reading How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell, and yeah. she writes, civil disobedience in the attention economy means withdrawing attention. I'm less interested in a mass exodus from Facebook and Twitter than I am in a mass movement of attention. 
what happens when people regain control over their attention and begin to direct it again together, end quote. And I love that because it reminds me, um, like reclaiming rest, reclaiming attention, reclaiming how we mm-hmm. think and feel about the world rather than this zombie vibe that you're mm-hmm. talking about where we just are in this complacent zombiehood yep. where we're just in the grind. We're not giving ourselves space to actually think, whoa, is is this actually what I want to do with my life? Is exactly. this? I'm really with you. And I, I just have a, two more questions. And I was reading a paper you wrote for graduate school and it says, mm-hmm. quote, when we stand in the gaps for each other and decide to be relentless in our support and witness, we can shift oppression. The beauty mm-hmm. of this reality is that it repeats itself in many forms on our journey in life, childbirth, graduations, in protest marches, at weddings, in classrooms, with strangers on public transportation, in elevators, in courtrooms, in church pews, on war fields, on streets, in gang territory, and in death. Mm. We are intimately tied to each other. We find God through each other. Mm. So beautiful. It takes me back to that, um, when I wrote that, I kind of framed it around the concept of when my father died suddenly and how the community rallied around us in such a deep way that I actually, I felt the presence of people, even though they weren't around me. I felt like as if hundreds of people were like holding me up and um, I felt it in my body. And my, my mom also said that she felt like um, God was seeing us through other people, you know, that, that, that the community became the hand of God and, I don't actually like to use the word self-care. I I always talk about community care and I talk about soul care. I talk about community care as the practice of freedom and how I believe that we really cannot heal alone. And that's why I named our first signature program, our collective mapping experiences, which have since taken a hold because of what's going on with this pandemic, we can't be in spaces with each other physically. And so last year we did close to 50 of them all over the country where we'll go in and install safe spaces for the community to rest together, sacred spaces. We go in art direction and put out blankets and pillows, every single event that we've ever had, there is a rest altar built. Some of them are very elaborate, 20 feet high, but some of them are just a small, you know, jar of cotton or either a photo of my grandmother, you know, or who's the muse for resting and what reimagined rest can look like. Her picture is always there. There's always an altar there to ground the space. Even there's three people there or there's 50 people there, there's something unique about collectively resting and napping together. It's like vintage intimacy. And I think the piece that you just read, the quote, is really getting at this concept of intimacy and vulnerability. And I think that that's such a powerful place when we talk about liberating ourselves, we talk about movement, when we talk about really what a full resistance must look like. It must look like this intimate vulnerable connectedness, this interdependence on each other, this interconnectedness, um, it's so important. And we're, we're seeing it so much now. Like I love Fannie Lou Hamer and one of her quotes is, no one's free until we're all free. Um, I'm a womanist. I don't claim feminism at all. I claim womanism because I believe womanists have understood the concept that 
all forms of oppression and all people are kind of tied together and that we have to restore the balance between people and the environment and nature and reconcile human life with the spiritual dimension of life. And so womanist theology and womanism as a whole looks at how we're all interconnected in intimacy, vulnerability, and soul care is so important to me. The care of our souls. If we want to name another thing that's been called, they've co-opted uh, self-care to mean going to buy an expensive um, facial or going to a spa or buying some new $2,000 mattress to sleep on. And I, I don't rock with any of that. I feel like if I, we have our bodies, we have a liberative space. I feel like the concept of self-care can't really be got at until we start talking about, you know, what has happened on that soul level that we think that we aren't worthy of a 10 minute nap. And so I really want to get to the heart of the issue and look deeply at the soul. Self-care has been co-opted to be just consumerist capitalism. And I also deeply believe that we can't heal by ourselves, that we have to have community. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that the slowness that's being, you know, it's like I can intellectually understand a lot of this stuff, but to uh -huh. somatically... Yeah and spiritually let it sink in um mm -hmm. it does take yeah. time and i'm really looking Absolutely. forward to laying down with this conversation again <laughs> and letting it sink in and i'm really hoping that everybody who listens gets to listen in a time where they're not feeling rushed yes because i think everything is extremely life-changing what you're speaking to and i don't think we're going to be able to deal with climate change or the Anthropocene yeah. extinction or colonization, capitalism, so on and so forth yeah. without really listening deeply to yes. your words and understanding that this is actually a necessary part of decolonization. This is actually a very necessary part for us to move forward. We cannot break down the system, what you were saying with the master's tools, uh -huh. like that's not going to work. So, um, nope. I really appreciate that. And for our last question today, I would love for you to walk us through your dreamscape, a world in which mm -hmm. perhaps the daily grind ceases and business as usual is no longer an option. Mm -hmm. oh, I like to imagine this all the time. And I think the main, when I start imagining, the first query that comes up in my mind is how can we access pleasure and joy and liberation if we're too tired to experience it you know if we're so exhausted how will we be able to recognize that we've reached our liberation will we be too tired to know it and so I really think that I call rest a meticulous love practice it's a practice of love towards yourself towards your community but it is going to be meticulous uncomfortable at times and people are always like, oh my goodness, I want to rest, but I, it's just so hard. I'm like, yes, I know it's going to be very hard. Um, James Baldwin has a quote where he talks about the enormous effort it takes to really get to liberation. People aren't born in a place where, when they're born under oppressive system where they're able to just kind of imagine and feel in their bodies what it feels like to be liberated. And so I think it's gonna take us to be really imaginative. And I don't think we're able to get to that imaginative space without resting. And so my dreamscape looks like 
breaking down and burning down and pulling down white supremacy and capitalism, like they both have to die. <laughs> we can't talk about any type of movement towards soul care, self-care, um, getting to anywhere without those two systems continuing to exist. And I think we have to see disruption and we have to reimagine what that can look like. I think my grandmother is sitting on the couch for 30 minutes every day when you know, she was living as a woman running from Jim Crow terrorism, running from the KKK. When she's sitting there for 30 minutes and closing her eyes, I believe that that fortifies me now. To be honest, I really would think that I would love to see um, people detoxing from technology as much as they possibly can. Like, I don't think we're able to get to like the full liberation of rest if we're continuously scrolling and online. I wrote a, um, a small blog post when I did a I did a 30-day detox from social media and I wrote up things that I learned from that 30-day period of being off of social media, email, and just any technology. People cannot make space for you to rest if they don't know what it looks like to rest. So that goes back to that interconnectedness of we, we're going to have to embody this message. My dream is that for every person who retweets you know, one of our memes that they take a nap right after they retweet it, you know, <laughs> if I like if that, if that could happen, I think we actually would be further towards our goal. But I don't I don't think that that form of technology is allowing us to see that because how they created social media, they've created it so that we never get off of it. The scroll technique is something that they've studied and researched so that our brain doesn't know when to stop. We don't know when to be full. And so to know that technology is working against us so that we don't know how to stop and feel full and that our brain is being triggered. And I'm very, very influenced by um, a Sabbath and what um, a Sabbath can be and the ancient technique of a Sabbath and how a Sabbath is really a radical pause and um, what that could be. And I'm really dreaming about um, embodiment and people just because I think people a lot of times hear the message and then they're like oh that sounds okay but when they come to one of our nap events or when they actually take a nap or they actually then they wake up and they're like oh my goodness like I never knew it could feel that way I'm like laying folks down like it's such an honor and I'm so humbled to be able to just lay a body down and to put a blanket over them and but now that we aren't able to do them because of what's going on with this virus and pandemic I want, I want to be able to hold space for people in a spiritual way. I want to be like this, you know, pillow for them, just be able to like, for them to really feel that you can lay down right now. You don't have to wait. The time is now. You can take 10 minutes right now and even 10 minutes every day. We're collectively doing that in large numbers. I believe that we can slow down capitalism. And I believe that grind culture right now is on its knees. And so I imagine us um, being able to like help pull it down by actually collectively resting. Even in your homes right now, go take a nap. I believe that um, a direct action could look like all of the movement leaders just sleeping for a day. You know, that would be a beautiful and magical pushback and a way for us to um, spiritually connect. And so I'm always thinking about blankets and pillows and softness, softness in the real world. And metaphorically, I'm thinking about ancient pausing and just stopping and slowing down. And I'm always thinking about grief and mourning and silence and how rest supports all of that. Yes. 
Well, thank you for sharing a guiding dream to um, yeah. to know that we can imagine beyond perhaps what we've been imagining mm-hmm. to push our own limits of dreaming. And it will be challenging because we're breaking addictions. We're breaking that yes. brainwashing that we spoke to earlier, but it's such a worthy practice. It's a necessary practice. And mm-hmm. you have been a huge inspiration for us and for me personally. And there are so many years where I thought self-care and rest was for somebody else, or it wasn't actually mm-hmm. necessary. And I didn't really have time to do that because the world's burning yeah. and it's just not, <laughs> it just was like, no, I can't do that. And that's not going to help me. And it's not going to help the right. earth. Because what 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 I felt the earth needed was this urgent response system all the time, yes. and and since that click moment, I haven't turned back. And and like I said, I'm not perfect. Like there's definitely times where I'm like, oh darn it! Oh, like yeah. I'm grinding again. I'm friggin' grinding again. Like I gotta get off the grind. It, it can be a challenging journey, but we can keep getting back on the horse, so to speak. Yes. Because I very much agree that that the earth is crying for us to rest such important work and thank you so much for spending this extra time with us this has been amazing it's been such an honor i've had such an amazing time speaking with you i'm so humbled i'm so honored i'm in awe really it's going to be a slow meticulous process but to be able to just be easier on ourselves and um be so soft with ourselves and vulnerable and intimate with each other around this that we really can bring down and disrupt and push back and uh, my dream is that this pushback and disruption will lead to a full um a full breakdown and a full burn down of these systems that are on our necks daily and so mm-hmm. the more you can rest the more you can stop i'm always talking about deep daydreaming and reimagining what it can all look like and i think we have the power to do that and so Mm-hmm. And I so appreciate the time. So thank you. It's been an amazing conversation. Mm, yes. Arise up in every way that feels right in my own soul. Arise up in every way that feels right in my listening to Trisha Hersey on For the Wild podcast. I'm Ayana Young. The music we are enjoying today was provided by Seba Kapstad, Real J. Wallace, and Beautiful Chorus. I'd like to thank our podcast production team, Francesca Glassbell, Andrew Stores, Hannah Wilton, Aidan McRae, Erica Ekram, Carter Lou McElroy, Chris Hudson, and our guest producer, March Young. If you're moved by this episode, please rate us on iTunes and sign up for our newsletter at forthewild.world.